When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could with things I've picked up along the way. They also called me Padre. So welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where I take questions of the day and do my best to answer them. Today, I'm going to present the podcast version of my sermon that I'm going to preach at 930 today. You can tune in for us on Zoom if you like. Just email me at runnermonk at gmail.com and I'll give you the Zoom link um, or just like stop by the church and, and come and see it for, for for real. You know, take a long trip, maybe not during a the Delta variant outbreak, but later when it goes away or the next thing comes. Yeah, we're dealing with a lot of uncertainty in this world. Um, and it's hard to know who to trust. So for the meantime, we're going to trust God and we're going to trust each other and we're going to trust what we know and we're going to be safe and trust um, the medical authorities that um, are not uh, are not going against their their belief system that they learned in school for the anti-vaxxer crowd and and not the ones who are over sensationalizing it trying to get people to change behavior um, I think being a leader means that you um, that you do and say what is true even if that isn't as sensational as you might like it to be and we, cert- we certainly don't uh, deny the truth of what science has said. And so here we are living in this world where this is the reality. And the world that Jesus lived in had a lot of this mixed messaging too. Uh, And the disciples and Jesus followers while he was teaching would have not just heard one narrative about what life was all about and how to live it. Uh, They would have, like us, heard competing narratives of what should they should do with their lives, how they should behave, what they how they should act, and how they should organize in communities. There were um, multiple religious groups at Jesus' time, multiple factions within Judaism, and certainly Roman religion, Hellenistic religion, which is the Greek influence. And everybody sort of uh, had a lot of exposure to new ideas, and a lot of new things were coming along that they had never heard of before that were intriguing and novel and new. You also have the influence of Eastern religions, East of Jerusalem, so to speak, um, from Persia, Zoroastrianism, Buddhism. Um, The world that Jesus lived in was a world that was linked in so many ways. And it was also linked by disease. Uh, The first pandemics that happened in world history happened in the Roman Empire. Uh, Sometime after Jesus has ascended into heaven. Uh, We have the Antonine Plague that because the Roman world was so linked, a pandemic was possible. In Jesus' time, we don't have any true pandemics. We have epidemics. Um, But some of them probably take on a pandemic quality in that you can have outbreaks in multiple places at once or seemingly multiple places at once. Um, and then you can have them die down as people take precautions and then they flare up again in another place. And that's sort of how pandemics worked uh, when they started. There really was no end to them. Um, or the end was measured in decades rather than years. And so 
in Jesus' day, we still have that same linking of the Roman world producing zoonotic diseases, disease coming from animals, and some other ones as well. And so the world that Jesus lived in was like ours. It was a human world with all sorts of uh, competing ideologies. And Jesus is presenting something in this reading uh, from John's gospel, where he talks about being the bread of life. And he talks about uh, how even though people were fed with the loaves, the 5,000 were fed, he fed them, um, that they were still looking for something more. And the something more they were looking for was Jesus. Uh, that, that even though you can have your belly filled with bread, you can still be missing something. And that something is a person. Today, bread is vilified as the public enemy number one of diet culture. Uh, you know, Jillian Michaels says, don't, tell the waiter, don't bring the bread to the table. I remember her saying that in some talk I heard or something. Um, and she looks really healthy, so you got to listen to her. Don't bring the bread to the table. Instead, pull out that little plastic bag of five celery sticks and eat them. Uh, we are strategizing around how to handle bread in our life um, as it is the main cause of our weight gain. Uh, diet culture is like every culture, like every ideology. It has a truth to it, but it also has a destructive demonic element to it that will poison us if we're not following Jesus. Um, it doesn't mean we don't be he- we're not supposed to be healthy as Christians or something like that. It's that any ideology that becomes our ultimate concern is inherently idolatrous, and it's easy to to fall into that. The, the best experts on how to be healthy today say that uh, fad diets don't work, um, that what works is being happy, being consistent, feeling joy in what you eat, uh, eating in a way that, as they call it, mindful eating, being aware of what you're doing, uh, praying over it. They don't say that necessarily, but I think our blessing of food and praying over food is a way of showing that this is this has a deeper meaning um, than just fuel for the machine. Once you get into the fuel for the machine bit, you have dehumanized yourself. Um, so, uh, and talking about bad food, the New Testament makes it very clear there is no bad food. None. There isn't any. Um, and and what, what there is, is what there is, is our own diseases, dis-ease that produces in us uh, health, unhealthy consumption, whether that's through material possessions, the acquiring of them, acquiring of money, or the acquiring of large quantities of food. These are all diseases, And Jesus is addressing them in this teaching on John, in John about the bread of life. He says that um, don't work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life. And then he says this, and this would have maybe been shocking to his audience. I don't know. I wasn't there. But it was surprising enough that they wrote it down, that he said um, that they said to him, what sign are you going to give us that we may see it and believe you? Um, what work are you performing? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, 
So his crowd of debaters point out that their ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. The manna in the wilderness is a mysterious substance. We have several descriptions of it in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, other places. The size of a coriander seed, so round, but it was white in appearance. Coriander is like dark brown. Uh, Manna is white in appearance, so bright. It came like the hoarfrost, that frost, uh, which, you know, is very rare in the Sinai Peninsula. But uh, a dew that comes at night, it came like the dew, and you could see it glistening out in the morning sun as the sun came up. And you'd gather it up, um, and you'd gather it up, and it would feed you for that day, your family for that day. You could bake it into cakes, like honey cakes. Um, In some ways, our communion wafers are supposed to look like manna. white and honeyed uh, cakes. Um, I remember a preacher in a sermon once said, in a kid's sermon at a Presbyterian church I stopped by at, said that maybe it was insect secretions, but I don't know, like honey, you know, is an insect secretion. Who knows? We don't know a lot about manna. The one thing we do know about manna is that if you collected it and tried to hoard it, tried to keep it in a jar, so you'd have more, maybe you could sell it, it would rot really fast and have worms spoil. Um, So the idea of manna was it was daily bread, bread that you couldn't store unless it was the Sabbath. Sabbath Eve, Erev Shabbos, you could put it in a jar and it would be there in the morning and you could have it for the Sabbath so you wouldn't have to go out and gather it. But it was the only time you could do that. Any other time, it would spoil. Manna itself was inherently a lesson. It was inherently an illustration of how God takes care of people. Daily bread, just enough for today, not enough necessarily for tomorrow, not enough for next week. So much of our gathering, whether it's money or people or possessions or whatever it is, is not about today. It's not what we need for today. It's what we need, we think we need for tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So we can, we can steal ourselves and soothe ourselves against the insecurity of what is coming, that we can maybe have enough to buy our way out of a problem. Um, The anxiety of eating. um, I am someone that struggles with anxiety disorders, and I have struggled with disordered eating. Uh, Many years ago, when I came home from Iraq, I had a lot of uh, bulimic behaviors, disordered eating, and worked with a psychiatrist on that and psychologists and counselors on that, um, pretty intensely because it was, it was taking over so much joy in my life. Um, and part of what it was for me, and I don't know if it was, is for you if you've struggled with these things, was that I felt incredible anxiety about what was going to happen next or what was going to happen the next day. And so food became a, a way of stuffing down that anxiety. And it would go away. Uh, and I would feel miserable. But I, it would go away. It does work. That's the thing about all these coping mechanisms. They do work in a short-term basis on some level. And yet they are what we call unhealthy coping mechanisms because the, the thing they produce in us is they make us, they, they increase our cycle of symptoms rather than giving us peace and safety and love. Um, so if you feel like your eating may be disordered, I would talk to a counselor about that right away. That's something they are good at helping you with. And uh, we'll, we'll be there for you. But this is the sign that he says. Uh, 
the sign of, of Jesus is that he is the manna that's come down from heaven. Um, it was always, it was not Moses who gave the manna. Manna means, what is it? What is it? When they came out and saw it for the first time, they said, what is it? What is it? Even today in Hebrew, um, the expression of what is it is maza, um, similar to manna. What, what, what is it? Um, and so the, Jesus says, it wasn't, the, it wasn't Moses who gave him manna, it was the Father. It was God who gave the manna. And it is God who's giving Jesus to you. He is the manna which has come down from heaven. <clears throat> and so this bread, which is so problematic for us as modern people because it is seen as the source of our disease, um, in the right amounts is the blessing from heaven. And in the right amounts, it is the blessing from Jesus. And this is where, and this is where you can imagine uh, yourself being hungry. We are rarely hungry as modern people in the way that people this time were hungry. This is one big difference of really people before 1950 or 60 and today. And that hunger really drove people um, in a way that it does not drive people today. And so uh, these who have had their bellies filled with the loaves that Jesus multiplied are now hoping for something more. And he is giving them something more. He is not giving them more bread. He is giving them himself. And that is in itself a gift of bread. When you follow Jesus, you realize that you don't get ahead by hoarding things, even bread or food or money. That's not how you get ahead. You get ahead by sharing those things. We all get ahead by sharing what we have. That is what, the, what Jesus calls us to in that life because he is the true bread and he owns all the bread. And when we share it, we're simply redistributing what God has given to us. And that is what Jesus is as the bread of life. He is the bread of life in that we can trust him that our daily bread needs will be met, not just for food, but for everything. And this is really hard to believe in a world that says, you can have it now, but you probably won't get it tomorrow. Or in a world that says, um, you'll probably never, ever get the things that God really has promised you because that's pie in the sky. That's ridiculous. Um, why would praying for something bring a result? And yet this is the life Jesus calls his followers to, is to trust God for that daily bread. It's in the prayer he taught us. Give us this day our daily bread. When you get to that part of the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, I hope you can put in there the daily bread needs of your life, shelter, your car running, um, your kids, you know, getting out the door at a decent time, um, the kind of things that make life livable, that your friend who you've had a good relationship with calls you or texts you, um, and you're not just the only one on that side of the relationship. These are the things that make life living. These are the daily breads of life, uh, connection, love, and ultimately Jesus standing in the middle of all that. He is the bread of life, the daily bread of life. Not, not enough for tomorrow or the next day. That is left to Jesus, but enough for today, enough for today. 
I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the promise Jesus gives us. Um, And so the people that ate manna in the wilderness, they woke up in their tents, they gathered it up. That wasn't an act of faith. That was an act of hunger. They were just hungry people. They weren't any better than us. They weren't more perfect than us. They, they didn't have like all their lives figured out and worked out and everything was great. Um, and the people that ate the bread and the feeding of the 5,000s, they were just regular people, just like you and me. And so it is with the people who eat the bread of life in Jesus Christ through the Eucharist. When we eat the bread of life that is the body of Jesus, when we participate in that sacrament, we're not any better than anybody else. We have all the same problems every single person has. We have all the same failures and anxieties and fears and, and doubts and all those things that make us human. We have all those things. But what we have is hunger. We know that the bread of this world isn't enough. We know that the material possessions and gathering them in this world isn't enough. What we gather, we share. And what we receive in the bread of Jesus satisfies us so that we can say, I have enough for today. And if you can't say, I have enough for today, come to Jesus. He has enough for you today. He is the bread of life. And once you eat of this bread, you'll never be the same again. That was true for me as a kid when I took communion in my little Bible church. Well, it was a big Bible church. And I knew communion, even though sometimes they would say things like, it's just juice and crackers, or this is just a symbolic thing that we do because Jesus told us to. And they didn't have the same theology of the Eucharist that Episcopalians or Catholics have or Orthodox Christians. But what they did have is a reverence for this bread and the eating of this bread. And I knew that when I ate that bread as a kid, that I was closer to Jesus than I was at any other time in my life. And that, and that's why I'm still here. Christianity sucks most of the time. We've got all kinds of things that we do and have done uh, to other people, to ourselves, to each other. Um, we are a human organization. And in that human organization, uh, abuse has pro- proliferated. We have covered it up as a church. We have done terrible things in the name of God, in the name of Jesus. Our cross has been a symbol of hatred and ugliness and fear and, and violence in many cases. Um, and yet, I'm still here because Jesus is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. He's the bread for me for today. And that's it. Tomorrow will take care of itself, Jesus said. Today is the day you can eat. Come and eat today. Amen.